Welcome to the Middle Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. What's going on, everybody? You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here at the Middle Tech Podcast. We sat down with my good friend, Shane Howard. Shane is an Elizabethtown native, just like myself. Uh, We'll tell the story of how we met, but he is an entrepreneur that's been inducted into the Hall of Fame here in Kentucky. So he's had a lot of success uh, growing a company called CCR, Custom College Recruiting. Uh, He's also a marketing extraordinaire, so he knows a lot about marketing, works with many of the coolest startups in Kentucky, helping them uh, advise them in marketing. Uh, This is a conversation that was honest, and he's somebody that shares his mind and is very raw. You know, he's been through a lot, and he's had a lot of unique and tough decisions to make throughout his career. Uh, He's been through uh, a lot of tough times, and so he's not afraid to share those. And we're going to talk about the sides of entrepreneurship that often aren't talked about. Yeah, like you just said there, he's he's real. And he says that right off the bat. He's like, I'm somebody that just 100% who I am, raw, uncut. That's just how he is in this interview is is his real personality. Uh, so I've only known Shane for a little bit, but in the time I've gotten to know him, uh, he's just somebody that is an absolute go-getter, hustler type of entrepreneur. So we're excited for you guys to hear from him. During this conversation, we got to cover things like imposter syndrome and how to deal with it. I know that is a thing that a lot of entrepreneurs likely face at some point if they're starting their own company. Uh, when they're just starting off, they might feel like you know they, they don't belong or they don't uh, have the skills necessary to pull off what they're trying to do. Uh, so Shane had a lot of good of advice on how to deal with that. Uh, we also talk about the struggles of raising money. Uh, we talk about the battle between health and entrepreneurship. So, you know, I feel like in today's day and age, especially uh, this grind culture of working all the time and sacrificing your health for working and for your company is is very glorified. Um, but that can lead to some bad endings. So we talk with Shane about how he's balanced that in his own life. Uh, he's kind of been on one side of it and now has found this this good balance Uh, So that's something that's very important that we covered in this conversation as well. Uh, And then also just admitting what you don't know. So when you're starting a company, it's going to be very clear very quickly where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are. And it it takes a lot of humility uh, and self-awareness to be able to admit what you don't know and then surround yourself with people who can cover your your weaknesses and, and help you really realize your strengths. So these are all some topics that we cover in this conversation. Um, So before we dive in here, we're just going to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterment. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode 97, or visit their website at landbetterment.com. This episode is also brought to you by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determine entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to grow successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all be grateful for VCs like him around this area. 
I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more. Let's all connect and grow together. You can email Dan at info at airwing.vc. Their website is www.airwing.vc. And before we get started, we just want to tell you guys about a great opportunity from our sponsor, Render Capital. So Render Capital is a Louisville-based investment firm with a shared mission of advancing the startup ecosystem in Kentucky and the Midwest. Are you a startup founder who could use $100,000? If so, Render Capital wants you to apply for their 2021 Render Competition. The Render Competition invests $100,000 into eight early stage startups each year to help them scale their solution and attract future investment. Your startup should be one of those startups. Anyone is welcome to apply and it's super easy. Applications are open now and the deadline to apply is May 6th. Learn more about the Render Competition and apply today at render.capital slash competition or check out today's episode description for a direct link. Again, that's render.capital slash competition. All right, let's get into it, guys. So we got an awesome guest today, somebody I've been really looking forward to. Uh, He's somebody I consider one of my best friends. We've known each other for about three years now. Uh, We talk every day, I feel like. We're sending each other articles all day. We're shooting ideas back and forth. We're just chatting it up. I wake up, he's shooting me texts at 3 a.m., and I I don't respond to a lot of them. He sends me so much shit, I can't reply to it all. But we talk all the time, and it's somebody I've really been wanting to get on. He's one of the realest people I've known. Um, his name's Shane Howard. When I first met him, uh, he spoke and was uh, honored at the Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame uh, event I went to here in Kentucky. And I had known a lot of the people in the room, but when he got up on stage and said he was from Elizabethtown, I didn't know him. And I felt like, whoa, what's going on here? I'm from Elizabethtown. And here's this entrepreneur being honored that I didn't know. So I hit him up afterwards on LinkedIn or something. I said, hey, Shane, what's up, man? And we got to get coffee. We got coffee and we've been good friends ever since. I think we've talked every day since. It's been yeah. it's been great. You've been uh, an awesome mentor and somebody I uh, enjoy talking to, and you've helped you know me in my journey. So I'm looking forward to sharing all your thoughts with our audience. Thanks for joining, yeah. man. I'm uh, I'm honored to be on here. I had to wear my orange in respect to the the logo and the brand here. We got to keep it on brand, but um, yeah, hopefully I'm the same person that you talked to. I think we sat in our off in my office and talked for like three hours one day. Um, the first time we, we met up and some people don't like the raw uncut, but I follow of the preface if that's what people deserve when you're looking for advice and you're looking for insight and you're looking to somebody to try and give you something that's helpful. People should just be real and honest and not sugarcoat it. I think we've got kind of an interesting dynamic going because I'm more laid back, and quiet, uh, maybe a little bit more reserved and you were the opposite. And I think we just kind of meshed. That's the way genuine relationships are built. So when you're just both real with each other, you're both like, I don't feel like I have to put on some sort of act. But uh, in re- in relation to that story, you said you saw him on the stage at the Entrepreneur Hall of Fame. I remember uh, you getting inducted into that too. Um, Emerging Entrepreneur of the Year, I think is what it was. Uh, give us some some backstory of why you're up on that stage in the first place. Yeah, it was uh, an award of appreciation, I guess, in a lot of ways of, of how I look at it um, to, to what you know, myself and my team was able to accomplish uh, with the company Custom College Recruiting. About 10, 11, 12 years ago, I actually started 
a college recruiting business to help high school age athletes access opportunities to play sports, right? So it was, you know, the division one athlete always gets the shine. It gets the glamor and the glitz. But what people don't realize is 80% of all the opportunities that exist out there are actually outside of division one. So I wanted to put something together that actually helped the coaches and helped the athletes. What I could not have foreseen is what it was going to grow into and, ended up growing into us servicing families and athletes in 53 different countries around the world and um, becoming partnered with multinational governments in Australia, New Zealand, China, England, a bunch of different places. And, um, yeah, it grew into something to where we became the largest international uh, sports recruiting service. It was kind of a first-time thing, too. It had never been done, so we're kind of navigating – uncharted waters in a lot of ways and uh, it's a really wild dynamic of trying to balance sleep but also be open 24 hours a day because you're servicing the world as a small company and um, it's a it was it was a fun challenge we ended up helping a lot of families receive over a hundred million dollars in scholarship and aid I don't know who nominated us uh, for the award but uh, we were lucky enough to be nominated. We were lucky enough to be selected. You said nobody else was doing it. So how did you identify the problem? Were you were you the customer? Like were you? Could you at one point have been the customer? How did you identify the problem? Uh, well, a little bit of both. So I, I grew up. I'm I'm from Bowling Green. I grew up playing basketball there in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I graduated in '98, so internet wasn't really around. So you had to kind of know people and those kind of things if you were going to get opportunities. You had to go to camps. You had to do these different things, and then. How I started the problem, or I started the company out of a problem being the other side of the customer, being the college coach. Um, I was actually an assistant coach for a very short period of time at Brescia University and really saw that, you know, there was this need that needed to be fixed. The services that were out there sucked, just to be honest. Um, they were a waste of money for me as a coach, and I could see they were a waste of money for the athlete. And uh, I took the last $1,500 I had to my name and uh, started a company and made all the mistakes along the way and figured it out. It's kind of a wild journey, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that journey. So when I hit you up and said, hey, let's get you on the podcast finally, uh, you sent me four topics that I think uh, are really important that we're going to talk about here uh, that I assume you, through your journey with CCR, came to realize. Um, The four topics are, you know, imposter syndrome, battling, you know, health with building a startup, raising money, and then admitting the things that you don't know. So let's start you know, with imposter syndrome. When did you first realize you had that? What does that even mean? We'll go from there. So it's kind of a weird thing. You can be ultimately confident, but have imposter syndrome. And I'm, I'm one of those guys where I, there's nothing I don't believe isn't possible. But with CCR, I started to feel a little bit, and this was, let, let's, let's kind of date it. So this is 2011, 2012. So raising money was had always been a thing, but now it's on the internet. And now people are talking about it. And now people are posting articles and press releases because they raised money. I never looked at it as something that should be celebrated because, I mean, it means you're needing, like you're needing outside help. And it means some, you, have a, you have a void that needs to be filled. We bootstrapped for four or five years, I think before we ever even entertained it. But once I started kind of thinking about and communicating, because I didn't know anything about fundraising. I didn't know anything about really the financial verbiage. I mean, I barely graduated high school. 
Um, I don't have a college degree. So you start getting in the room with people who are, that's their job. Uh, you know, an investor's job is to find a reason why not to give you money. And um, I started doing that a little bit, not really investing, but listening in, listening in on pitches online, researching other people's pitch decks. I was lost. I did no idea and to start to think, am I really good enough to do this? Is this really something? And then I overcame it. Um, I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs go through, but they don't admit because it's not sexy and it's not fun. I'm the opposite of that. I, I share all my the good, the bad, and the ugly. How do you eventually come out of that? Because you eventually get over it once you've kind of accomplished. Maybe you check off a couple of things on your accomplishments list, but for you personally, when did you look back and you were able to finally say, I'm, I'm over that? Or do you ever? Well, I think there's always a piece that's always there. Because if not, then you're just ignorant. Because if you just believe that everybody's always going to love you and everybody's always going to appreciate you, because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Now, I don't operate off of other people's opinion, but it's really my own assessment. So I can give you an example. For most of my life and how I grew up, no one expected anything of me. I told you I barely graduated high school. So in a lot of ways, even with building CCR and like Evan not knowing who I was, I operated in plain sight. I was here. I did five across. You know, I, I came in, was a judge at five across. I got invited as the only non-member to go sit in on the Kentucky Entrepreneurial Hall of Fame board and talk, you know, on their board meeting and talk and these different things. But I kind of hid in plain sight. So I had to deal with a different version of it once I get this award, once I get these acknowledgments. Now people expect things of me. Now people see me and say, oh, you're the guy who's done this. You've done this. Well, I want to know more. Tell me more. So there's always, it just evolves. But for me, if I had to put it in a moment, if I had to put it into a moment, I was sitting in Yao Ming's private restaurant in Shanghai, China, with the Minister of Education from Shanghai, I was invited to, and it was, on, it, it was a dinner for me. And then the next morning, the next morning, I got a phone call from, from our interpreter that said, hey, he loved everything about it, and he has this meeting set up at Tongji University for you to go and speak to 40 coaches at this prestigious university about what you're doing, and he wants to help however he can help. At that moment, I was like, okay, this guy deals with a lot of BS. And if someone like this says, hey, I'm going to give you access in a country where access is very, very limited, I said, okay, you know, I believe it now. There's a difference between like believing in yourself and having the confidence versus being like, all right, I'm the shit and, you know, being kind of cocky about it. And I think once you hit one of those moments, understanding it and being self-aware enough to be like, okay, Yes, I've had I've had a good accomplishment here, but I'm not going to let that take me up and put my head in the clouds. I think that's what that story kind of portrays to me. Yeah, there. absolutely. Um, when you get to the moment, I will tell you some side advice as a friend. If you ever have a friend who has a startup and they ever get to the moment of I'm the shit, you need to immediately check that person because they are in for a very, very painful lesson, a very painful lesson. Yeah, I think for me, I got over like I feel like I briefly had it at Fuji. I mean, when I was at Fuji, I was sitting in rooms that I had no business being in. I mean, I was 20 and 21 in the executive rooms at Viacom and, you know, some of these massive companies around the world, Turner Broadcasting and 
uh, I think I got through it because I had people around me that, that like really cared and instilled like a sense of confidence in me, whether that's my parents or Greg and Eric, you know, the founders of Fuji who, you know, helped me in some of those first meetings because I didn't have the confidence. I had that imposter syndrome. They would come with me, you know, hype me up and make sure that I participated in the meetings. Eventually I was able to take them by myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, I had that brief period of imposter syndrome, but got over it pretty quickly and maybe it'll come back. You know, I think it, I imagine that you get over it and then you do something else new and then you feel it again. But I feel like I haven't had it seriously yet, despite some of the things that I've done, because I've had people around me that have like given me self-confidence. And I think that's one piece of advice maybe to help with imposter syndrome is, you know, surround yourself with people like you, that, like you for me, you know, Shane, what you provide me is like perspective and like giving me the raw things I need to hear and advice and like when I come up to something hard that I'm building with Simba, you know, I, I give you calls about certain things and having those people in your life helps a lot with imposter sy- syndrome. Um, and, you know, it's been my parents. And like I said, it's been other mentors. But, you know, despite the things that I've done at an early age, I don't feel like I've gotten it yet. Maybe I will again at some point, but I had it briefly and it's just kind of gone by. Yeah, I think I think you will. I think some of it, too, is um, especially building a startup like me and you, for example, there also has to be a piece in there that just because somebody tells you the raw, real and uncut, like it has to, has to be like actionable advice. It can't just be like just an opinion, right? Or the opinion has to be backed up by proof of, oh, wait a second, I've listened to you and I've seen this work. So when you call me and we have a talk at one o'clock in the morning and I'm telling you, stop doing that shit because you need to look over here because you're missing an opportunity here. And this is where the opportunity is. Like anybody can tell you that you have to trust because now you're building a company. You have to know that I just want to see good people win and something about you that, and I'm not, I don't want to make this like, Hey, I'm praising Evan, but it's good advice for younger folks that are listening to this from the moment Evan reached out to me. It was, Hey, I want to get to know you, but also how can I help you? But he never came to me trying to, to take anything from me or take my energy or take my time so it was naturally organic of, hey, like, here's who I am. And I was, and, and you were even hesitant to kind of share with me the early days of Simba before it was Simba. And it was something else. You were kind of like, well, is it okay if I share? I'm like, dude, share all of it with me. Like, I'm, I'm down to help. So my friendship is more about comfort. And I want to be there because I want to see you win. I want to see you become the next great company. And I, can, I, don't, I don't need anything from it the satisfaction of seeing you go from, you know, making a bunch of mistakes to making all the right decisions is enough for me. And, you know, you've kind of bounced around and talked about fundraising here several times. Um, let's transition here. And one of the things you want to talk about was raising money. So start wherever you want with that, because I know you have a lot of opinions on that, but I've got some questions, but start where you want. I'm of the opinion you do it, you, you do it only when you need to, not when you have to. So there's a difference. The longer you can build out this business, no matter how small in your eyes, but if you can build consistency and revenue, you hold a lot more leverage when it comes time to actually scale and way too many people build a business for the purpose of fundraising. There's people out here who start a business and that is their revenue model. That gets into a whole nother topic of most people who start a startup don't actually know how to sell. They know how to build a product. They know an industry. They actually don't know how to articulate that to a consumer to generate revenue and for that to continuously happen. And that's, that's the most difficult thing to do about building a startup. So you said 
you should raise money when you have a need, not not a how you, you have it? to when you have to. So what's so so you didn't, so have, you, didn't so, tell, you didn't say the difference between those two things. Yeah, yeah. So having a need means okay, we have a need. We're going to scale to get from point A to point C, and we have a need. So we want to scale. That we have a need of we need more talent so that we can scale, right? Having to is looking at the bank account and realizing you may not make payroll in 30 days and now you have to. Yeah, you want to do it when you need it, right? Is that what yes, you said? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. You want it when you need it, not when you have to. I've been in both scenarios and needing to, even though it's un- gut-wrenchingly stressful, is a lot different than on the phone and saying, I'm not sure if we're going to make payroll. Yeah. And that sucks. Talk about raising money in this state. You know, I think you and I have talked on several walks before. Maybe that you know, you've said it's a, uh, you know, it's 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 crazy. It's it's yeah. disappointing. It's frustrating. You know, what what was it like? How yeah. Would you uh, again, I I was lucky. Um, I pitched at the local venture club here in E Town. Short of causing any issues for you guys, I won't go into a whole bunch of details. But I will just tell you that that wasn't a great experience. Um, the state of Kentucky definitely needs to address how they gatekeep those things. Uh, because I, I mean, just to be frank, I, I actually pitched now an investor from the group invested in my company, but the group as a group never got back to me. They never gave me any feedback. They never gave me anything. My lead investor wasn't even going to go to the luncheon at the Louisville Boat Club. Someone that he works with dragged him along and picked him up. And that's where they ended up going for lunch just to go. He happened to be there. And then a month and a half later, I'm actually sitting at five across for the finals Five minutes before I go on, I get a text from Lisa Bajornis asking if I've spoke to this gentleman. I didn't know who he was. And she says, hey, like, I think he's interested. He's, he's looking for your details. Like, yeah, put him in touch. And we hopped on a phone call. It was supposed to be a 15-minute call. He and I talked for two hours, and the rest is history. So, you know, it, just by chance, it all lined up. And these aren't um, VCs. You know, no, th- no, no, yeah. no, no, no. So give us a give us a sense of like there's VCs in Kentucky. You know, we know them: Poplar Ventures, Airwing Ventures, Render Capital, Access Ventures. You know, there's several yeah. of them. I'm sure I'm, I'm missing a lot of them, but yeah. give us a sense of how much money there is inside venture, and you know, then then outside because you've gotten kind of I'm sure a perspective on both. Yeah, I mean, venture is cool. Uh, venture is expensive money. Um, I don't know how much. I, I've not watched every episode, so I don't know how much of this verbiage gets used, but. You have things that are what I would call expensive money. You got cheap money. You got smart money and you got dumb money. And again, I don't mean I'm not anybody knows me knows I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just using terms. These terms are used very openly in Silicon Valley and in other places. So expensive money means if there's a premium on it, right, where you might have a two million dollar valuation and you're getting, you know, you're giving up 10 percent. That money may come in and say, no, you're going to give up 18 percent because the hopefully the expensive money, hopefully, is also smart money. Means they have domain experience, or they mm-hmm. understand that, that you know they can navigate through that. They can they can connect you with vendors. They can connect you with strategic partners. Those kind of things. Now, cheap money isn't always dumb money. Cheap money can sometimes come through different scenarios where some like there are a lot of investors who are very altruistic. They are very, they want to help. They genuinely want to help. And, the, and I'm talking angel investors. VCs are a business. VCs have people, they, have, they typically have a board. They, they have, have people. people. Yeah, they, yeah, they're a balance sheet. It's not even their money. Yes, no, 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 not at all. 
which is hilarious when you talk to some of them. But then dumb money is someone who just has a lot of money, who's been really successful, who doesn't know anything. It's okay to take dumb money. Just make sure that they're not also very vocal because giving me a bunch of feedback and you really don't know anything, it's going to be counterintuitive taking this money, and it's, it is not worth it. Everybody in Kentucky probably gets offered some dumb money. It is not worth taking. I didn't take any. I can tell you I've heard of scenarios and I've seen scenarios where it has, and it is a nightmare. I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers of people who watch this, but <laughs> I think you kind of knew that. But <laughs> No, it's all good. We always talk about you know fundraising. Uh, that's one of the things that when we ask entrepreneurs towards the end of every podcast, like, hey, what could we do better here? That's one of the things they mention. Everybody has a different opinion. You, you've brought up things that nobody's brought up before, new perspectives. And so we always like to have those conversations because it's so important. You know, if you're building something big, you're building something special, you know, sure, you can bootstrap as long as you can. But at some point, if you're going to be scaling this thing, it's gonna be big, you're probably gonna need to raise money. So it's important we talk about it, you know, frequently. And those those perspectives you just shared were, were new and, and honestly refreshing. So um, anything else that you wanted to, to mention there that we didn't touch on? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, on, on the fundraising piece, I think it's just, honestly, just be authentic and real. Fundraising is a lot like dating, right? You put on your best outfit, you iron your shirt, you take a shower, you shave. So in the same context of raising money, be yourself. Because you're gonna, there's going to come a time where the you is going to have to come out and you can only put up an act for so long. Me, I wasn't. I, I did exactly, you know, I just, I just, I didn't go, about, I remember showing up to our first board meeting. There were shirt and ties at my board meeting and I'm not in a shirt and tie. I did that for nine years in the car business. You had That's a not, hoodie on and Jordans. I didn't have a hoodie on, not my first one. <laughs> there were, there were some that I did have, but I had jeans on. I was like, I'm not like an untucked dress shirt. I'm not, we're not, we're not going to do that. And I finally met and you know what you find out is the people doing the, you know, suit and tie, and they don't want to do it either. So once I said, no, we're casual, they're, ah, I can be casual, no problem. I feel like that those days are over. Like those days of nah, showing up wearing nah, uh, nah. nice clothes, are, you don't think they're over? No, nah, the old, this is going to sound, I'm not, I'm not going to say exactly what I want to say, but the old dusty money <laughs> that still exists here in middle America, it, it's still there. Okay. It's still there. I, ask Brian Rainey will tell you one time I showed up, and he heard about this, and he was like, you, you showed up in jeans? I was like, I did. He was like, thank you for doing that. And, and nowadays, everything's over Zoom now. I feel like it, you'd look like a clown if you showed up on a Zoom meeting wearing a shirt and tie and dressing <laughs> up too much. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, mean, you, I would yeah. feel like a clown if I showed up to a Zoom call looking like that. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't be good. All right, next topic. This is something really important. Um, it's something that I've, I've struggled with in the past, and I know you have. You and I have I've had conversations about this. Let's talk about staying healthy and being an entrepreneur. I don't um, – I think that's a unicorn. I'm going to be, I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. Um, if you don't have overly healthy habits, when you go to start a business and, and I guess there's a difference. And sometimes this get these, these lines gets crossed of there's a difference in being an entrepreneur and starting a small business. Um, there's a very, very big difference and that's probably a whole nother episode. But, um, if you don't have overly healthy habits, then you're probably never going to develop them anytime soon once you start. Um, I will give you an example. I kind of gave my academic background. So I went into this having to do a lot of research and a lot of learning and starting a business. I had never started a business before. I didn't know. I didn't even own a computer, actually. 
And I would wake up on Monday morning and I would go to sleep on Friday morning um, because I, I thought that I had to outwork everyone else. Like how if I went you, to how bed, did your body let you do that? Well, it didn't let me do it for very long. I did it for about two and a half, three months. And then one night, um, I actually thought I was having a heart attack um, and had to lay down the floor. My chest was hurt. I didn't have a heart attack, but I thought that's what was happening. And I was like, okay. My wife was like, or she was, she was my fiance at the time. She was like, nah, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep doing it. So I, I, I altered it a little bit. Then I altered this. I'm just going to sleep a couple hours a night. And I kept that for a very, very long time. Um, and I'm very open about this because I don't think this is shared enough in the startup world that a lack of sleep for any length of period of time will ruin your body. Um, it destroyed my thyroid. I've got some thyroid issues that I deal with right now, but um, every, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to die. I don't have any disease that's going to kill me. It's just quality, it's quality of life. And there was a very, up until the time that I transitioned away from CCR, I was sleeping every other night, about four or five hours a night. Um, it was not uncommon for me to work 36 hours straight, take a nap in the office, you know, lay down the floor. My employees opened the door one time, hit me with the door. They were like, they thought I was dead. They were like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just taking a nap, man. I got work to do. Yeah. But, I'm, I'm the exact, I have to have that sleep. Like I, I talked to Evan about this and I'm, I'm probably on the further end of the spectrum where it's like, I need eight hours of sleep and it's really frustrating and annoying. But if I don't go to bed at like 11 the night before, you know, Evan and I work out in the mornings together and I'm not getting up the next morning yeah. if I don't have at least seven or seven and a half. That's like my minimum threshold. So, so I'm going to push back a little bit. You, you, you can do that because you can. When you have a startup and you're building mm -hmm. a startup and then all of a sudden five people, six people, 14 people's bills depend on you. Mm -hmm. Investors have put in large sums of money. You've got 4,000 customers. You've got three governments that are calling and checking in and wanting to know what you're doing for them. And, hey, can you do this? And, hey, can you shoot this for us to use? And it all becomes a bit harder to do at that point because what you want unfortunately becomes second, third, fourth, and fifth. Take On top of that, I got five kids, you know, got a wife. I got family, got friends, not very many friends because you don't have time for friends, but – um, I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to talk about that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. What's health. All right. So if you, if you say like, for me, part of health is like a social life, right? But that's part of, that's part of health yeah. for me. I have a social, I have a social life. Right. Okay. So I feel like talk about grind culture, mm -hmm. you know, like this whole thing of like, you need to do those things. Sure. Right. I, I agree. I hear what you're saying. Cause I, you know, I've been there at times when I was at Fuji, like, sure. I, I'd, I had a lot of clients that were important and I'd lose sleep and I'd do things that were unhealthy. I would skip meals because I was working so yeah. much. But at the same time, like, do you need to do those things? Like, how do you, like, grind culture, I feel like it's confusing people and making people unhealthy and it's, it's idolized. So I think grind culture is, grind culture is bad and wrong when it, when it celebrates the things that you have to do. You can't, like, here's what I'll tell you. I don't know that I would want to know if it's possible or not. Because even though I know what it's done to my health, even though I know, I mean, I'm fine now. It, it took me probably 12, 14 months to kind of get back to normal. Um, but even knowing what I know now, I wouldn't go back and change any of it.
because it's given me opportunity. It's given me awards. It's given me recognition and all these different things that now give me different access into things. But I will tell you, it also gave me an understanding of what I don't do. So now on this second stage of my entrepreneurial journey, if you will, I now prioritize my sleep. There's a difference in working your ass off and being stupid. Yeah. And if you're using drugs to do it, you're a fool. And, and it's ultimately self-awareness. Um, you know, what I, I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'6". Six, six. I got a big voice. I got an intimidating personality. Like, no, who's going to walk up to me and tell me I need to take my ass to bed? Nobody. Nobody's going to tell me. The other part of it is, is most people aren't going to understand the journey that you're on. You're not going to be able to sit down at a family dinner and tell them how stressful it is that, you know, you're trying to launch a product and you're dealing with this issue and the servers are acting this way and the code's messing up here. Like, you're going to, they might as well be speaking a foreign language to them. They're not going to get it. And, you, and there's not a lot of empathy because they just don't understand. So then you don't tell anybody. There's some comfort and, in that, though. There's some comfort well, in being able to be around people that don't it understand too. it, right? There's also some loneliness in it, too. Yeah, for sure. Because because you need to be able to get those things. That's why I tell you. I tell you when you and I talk, always know that if you've got something, don't ever just care. Like, let me know. Like, come to me. Like, don't, don't hold that shit in because... It, because it'll destroy you. I mean, I've got internal calluses and scars of not, who do I turn to? Who do I talk to? Sometimes, and like some people are going to say, well, you've got investors. You don't want to let your investors know every single problem you're dealing with. You need to keep some confidence here. So a minute ago, you said you got to admit what the things you don't know, right? Let's, let's talk about that. Um, because I think that's, that's really important. You know, entrepreneurs are very, you know, confident people. Typically they have these, uh, this ability to jump into things and have a, a sense of confidence that it's going to work out. Um, but, you know, I'm sure as you gain more experience, you begin to get humbled and you've got to start realizing that you've got to ask people for help. And I think entrepreneurs, the outside culture puts them on this pedestal that they know everything and they've got to figure everything out themselves. So talk about how you've navigated, you know, not knowing things and maybe the mistakes you made about trying to push through things maybe you shouldn't have when you could have asked somebody. I was blessed enough in my pre-startup career to have some really cool people as mentors and people I looked up to who were really successful in business and in the music business and some different things. So I learned by their mistakes. They shared some things. I was able to observe, and I always remember this phrase of, you never want to be the smartest person in the room. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? And a lot of people take that in a lot of different ways. Well, the reality of it is, is you, you want the access to be about a bunch of really smart people, but also the reality of it is, is you only know a finite amount of things about a very finite amount of things. And if you are the smartest person in the room, then collectively we're not very smart. I'm to a point to where, and again, this is maybe not really know what you don't know, but you got to know, you, you have to be self-aware about where your time is best spent too. That also kind of falls in that same realm. But I mean, not knowing what you don't know can, I guess, as like Logan mentioned earlier, it goes back to the arrogance. If you think you're the shit and you think you know everything, you are a fool. Yeah. And, and, and you got to be real. If you've tried something and you can't figure it out, where is the best use of my time? So, double, triple, quadruple down on what you know 
and to hell with what you don't know. Put people around you that know that stuff so that you can be the best at what you do and they can be the best at what they do. Like too many people say, I'm going to hone my skills for what? There's too many smart people out here and too many, too much technology to help you. I think part of that comes back to the grind culture we talked about earlier. It's like, you've got to, you know, you've got to grind and learn everything. Yeah. You don't know. You're never going to, you're never, I I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Jeff Bezos does not know how to run a Facebook ad. I guarantee you he doesn't. Tim Cook doesn't know how to program an iPhone. He knows how to put really, really smart people in charge of the people who are in charge of doing it. That's what he's good at. He know you knows what he doesn't know. On the flip side of this, something that I've kind of seen in my own life is you can leverage this into being a cheat code for learning really quickly. If you're willing to be vulnerable with someone and say, you know, I'm new to this, I don't know what I'm doing, you can get people to just dump out everything that they know about a certain topic. I mean, I do that a lot on this podcast. Evan has a lot more domain experience and a lot more of what we talk about than I do. So I'll just ask maybe sometimes silly questions. And those are the questions that sometimes unlock the best answers for our audience who may be in sort of the same boat that I am. That's just what I found starting off in a startup that's still really early stage and then coming on to middle tech over these past two years. The more vulnerable you are about like, hey, I do not know it all and I would love to learn. An overwhelming majority of people will be very happy to to dump their knowledge into you at that point. Yeah. And one thing, yeah. you know, when I talk yeah. to, to classes at, at UK, uh, one of the things I always stress to them is like, you've got to build a network and you've got to build, whether that's, you do that through building a brand like with middle tech, but you've got to build a network because really what a network is, is one, people that care about you and can mentor you in certain things. But two is like, when you come up to something that you don't know how to do and you have this wide network, then you can just text them and say, Hey, I'm running into this. Can you hop on a 15 minute call? It's like access to information and it allows, it greases your wheels. Like the more people, you know, that care about you and have genuine conversations with you and you can hit them up, then you, you're, you're streamlining your ability to gain knowledge. And so I'd look at networking, one, I'm building relationships with people I care about. But number two, if I'm being selfish, I'm looking at that person, I'm saying, listen, you know something I don't know. Let me talk to you about it. I know we care about each other and I'm going to get that information way faster in a way more genuine way than I would go into Google. Right. Absolutely. And, I, and I'll, I'll give you an example of how I did it with CCR. So I told you, I didn't know anything about marketing. I did, but I didn't know that I did. So I, I built a team of advisors. Um, and uh, one of them was a guy named Eric Pete. Eric Pete has a graphic design and branding agency, worked with Nike in the early days, and now he has his own offshoot brand. He works with everything from um, the soccer league in Europe to Budweiser to Nike. He works on all of LeBron James' shoe launches. If you've ever been to Portland and seen the orange Nike town bike share bikes he designed though like like that's what he does right i put a guy named chris denson in place um chris denson has worked he was the innovation director for one of the largest well the largest digital media company uh digital marketing company in the world um he used to have the number one one of the number one podcasts in the country it was actually the official podcast for delta airlines innovation crush He's written a book. He was on South by Southwest board. You know, he was on HubSpot's board. He's a friend of mine. It made sense. Laura Christine. Laura Christine was the first e-com director for Adidas. She put their very first website online. She signed Kobe Bryant to his sponsorship deal um, out of high school. She did. She rebranded the logo for the Miami Heat. All of these people knew marketing in a different way. 
to the same demographic that I was going to with a company. So it made sense to bring them in, give them a small amount of equity and have them to leverage either time, resources, information, insight, or, and I had Rob McClanahan. Rob McClanahan is Kevin Durant, Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry. He's their personal trainer. He travels with the dream team. He's, he's Kevin Love's best friend. Like he's, is. I needed people in this domain that could provide a different perspective on these things that I didn't have. I knew what I didn't know, so I had to have people around me that could help fill that void. Makes sense. I, I 100% agree with, like, surrounding yourself with advisors and as much as you can because, I mean, the whole topic of this segment here is, you know, you got to admit what you don't know. And I think that as an entrepreneur, that's one of the most important lessons I think you can learn because you can't do everything and you're just going to add more stress to your life than you already have. If you want to push through everything and try to learn everything. And, um, I, I will say the thing that I took the most out of college outside of people like meeting people, really the only other thing I got value out of with college was my freshman year. They forced me to take a strength finders test and I took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And what it told me, like I kind of had hints of in my life that I knew, but I read about it. I really take it seriously. And I'm like, wow, I feel like this thing's really accurate. And I've done that since I've taken that test. I've honed in on what I know I'm good at and what I don't know. I've surrounded myself with people that, that help with that. And I think it's just so important to understand that. So I'm glad, you know, we had that, um, that discussion there. All right. Final thing is plug what you are doing now. You're doing several things. I've been watching. You just now are launching yeah. with, uh, you launched a new podcast and you do consulting, yeah. you do all kinds of amazing things. So what are you up to now? Yeah, I don't like talking about myself, ironically. I mean, I'm, I'm, I work with some really, really cool people on helping them build their, their personal brand and using digital in a way to kind of, because I, I believe that personal brands are, what will determine most companies' success in the next 10 to 15 years, meaning a C-suite person or the CEO or founder is going to have a personal brand because people are going to gravitate more towards brands who speak to them and represent what they do rather than just blindly using a company and not knowing any backstory. And we're becoming a very, I don't, I hate using the word woke, but a very socially aware um, um, economy in a lot of ways. So I have a company, Vision 154, we, we help brands come to life. Um, and I work with some really, really cool people who've done some really awesome things, take what they've done. And my goal is to let the world learn about them, what I know about them. And it just so happens they're also friends of mine as well. And people that I think a lot of, and it's fun helping other people do the things. I, I do some consulting. I do, you know, some marketing and some different things. I work with probably startups that you're aware of here in the state of Kentucky. It's just, I don't put their name out there. I don't do it for recognition and they don't, you know, we don't, we don't do that. So that's why I didn't, know um, you. Huh? <laughs> that's why I didn't know you. You're quiet. Well, you're quiet. I, I let my, my actions. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, cause even the award, right. The award Shane, you know, you're never going to get recognized. You know, you've got to go to these meetings. You've never seen me at any event. You've never, that was the only event you've ever seen me at. You've never seen me at a get together. I did five across seven years, six years before winning the event and winning the award for the Hall of Fame stuff. I, I don't like, I'm not, no, I'm going to go about things. You're going to, you're going to know by the work that I'm doing. And yeah, I feel that.
So well, cool. I don't have a lot to say. Yeah. yeah. No, we appreciate it, man. And this is, again, the conversation that I was looking forward to having. You know, good friend. You have so many things to talk about, especially with you. I mean, Logan. Not- Logan. Yeah. You've been awful quiet over there. Ask me something that you've always wanted to ask a guest, but you've never oh, God. felt comfortable enough to. <laughs> that is a tough one to put me on the spot with, Shane. Let me think. Thoughts on, on uh, marijuana. We just had 420 a couple days ago. Yeah, I personally don't really partake in it. I grew up where it was kind of demonized, mm-hmm. but I see the benefits to it now. There's two reasons why I will tell you that I think it should be legalized in the state of Kentucky. One, I think there is a, a physical impact, financial impact that would happen. It would spark an, because it's we're still now, again, we're still Kentucky, so we're still behind the growth of everybody else. But it's still kind of early, so it would put us ahead of we have the fertile soil with the tobacco history, and we have all that stuff here. The other part, there is a second part to why I feel like it should be legalized or decriminalized in the state of Kentucky, and that goes to a social aspect. This is probably not the answer you thought you were going to get, but you are eight, almost nine times more likely to be arrested in the state of Kentucky uh, for possession of marijuana if you are a person of color over a person that is white. Hmm. We obviously know that that math doesn't add up when we look at the usage and the population density and the actual percentages of population and those kind of things. Uh, so it would, it would be the largest step both federally and locally that our government and our politicians could do to actually help the, the, the population of color in our society by legalizing those things. So those two reasons are why I would, uh, I would say legalize it. People are using it anyway. Yeah. E- E-Town, you know, Evan's from here in E-Town. I'm sure he saw all the messages when it became a wet and all of a sudden now they're going to have liquor stores. Well, you would have thought that, you know, the devil was going to show up <laughs> and put a chair downtown and hang out, right? People are still drinking anyway. People are still doing it anyway. They're just finding another way to do it. Let's let's actually make some money off of it. Let's fix our schools. Let's fix our broken communities. Let's let's pump money into the poor communities that, you know, have had, you know, different industries taken away from them and find a way. Love it. Great conversation, man. Appreciate it. You know, again, our audience can come away with this with a lot of new perspectives. Uh, how can people reach you? Do you want people to reach you? Yeah, at at the Shane Howard. You can find me there on the socials, any one of them. Just find it. You can just reach out. Um, I'm sure reach out and tell me how much you hated this episode. Cause I'm sure a lot of people are going to hate it. So, but that's okay. Thanks for having me on guys.